Morning, everyone. It's uh, good to see everyone here. Um, let's pray. Father, I just pray that your word would really speak into each of our hearts. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we listen, bless us as we uh, think about uh, what we hear. And Lord, I pray for each of us that you would change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Who here likes weddings? Anybody like a good wedding? One of the uh, things you often hear when it comes to weddings, don't you, is what are you wearing? What are you wearing to the wedding? Which is really simple for me. I've either got one suit, sometimes two suits. I've pretty much worn the same suit to the last 25 weddings. Uh, It's just a question of which shirt and tie, and there's just two or three of them. So that's not a question that particularly fusses me. The only thing is, is it clean? Um, that, that's, that's the mystery. But um, the question, what are you wearing, doesn't really bother me. And I guess for a lot of men, that's the case, isn't it? We just grab that same suit and we take it out and we, that's it, we're done. But other people take a lot of effort to think about what they're wearing to a wedding, don't they? If you've got a wedding in the family, maybe you'll start already um, thinking about what you're wearing a few months in advance. Maybe you're already thinking, anybody here preparing clothes for a wedding at the moment? No? Uh, uh, Oh yeah, of course. (laughs) April and Glenn are getting married, so I'm hoping that they're preparing for that as well. But people take time because it's important. And yet the Bible encourages us to think about the attitudes, the actions, and the way we live our lives and that we should clothe ourselves in right attitudes. So I'm going to read to you just briefly from Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14. We're taking a break from our series in 1 Corinthians at the moment. It just says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy And dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, while we're here today, I want us to think about what are our relationships together like? How do we treat one another? What are the ways in which we could grow in our life together? Because as church, that we are called to be a part of a community that loves Jesus, but also loves one another. You know, in our church statement, we talk about loving God, loving one another, and loving our community. And I want us to think a bit about that. How do we love one another? Do we love one another well? Do we really care for each other? Because that is a mark of our Christian discipleship. If we're genuine followers of Jesus, then our life together should bear witness to that. What are the hallmarks of that in our relationships? How do we look from the outside? 
You know, it's been really, I'm fascinated by politics and perhaps the defining thing about politics at the moment is infighting. And if you look at pretty much all three of the main political parties, right now they're spending more time fighting one another than actually fighting each other. And all that comes across is this sense of disunity. And actually, it's so unattractive. It puts everyone off. And actually, as church, we need to watch how we live our lives together. This passage speaks to us about a life that, is, uh, that comes from understanding our identity in Christ. It addresses who we are. It talks about the attitudes that we carry, but then also talks about the actions that spring from them. All of this comes through knowing Jesus. This isn't a self-improvement sermon. This isn't three ways to be nice. I don't think I'm naturally a nice kind of person. Uh, But actually, Jesus, if he's changed our heart, makes us different, doesn't he? And so what we're talking about isn't being nice, but it's about the transformation that Jesus brings and that he makes us alive in Christ. And in Colossians, we're encouraged to put off the old clothes, the clothes of sin, and to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So let's start a little bit with identity. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You know, some of the songs that we've sung today emphasize that, that we as followers of Christ, are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I want you to understand that is, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is who you are. You are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. And you know, the fact is, often we don't think about that, do we? Or we don't feel like that. But that is the truth, that as a follower of Jesus, you are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. And that doesn't change on the day you mess up. It doesn't change the day you wake up grumpy. It doesn't change the day when things go wrong. If God has spoken over your life and said, let light shine out of darkness, then you are chosen, you are holy, And you are dearly loved. And that idea of being chosen is so fundamental. Throughout the Bible, we see that God calls and chooses his people. We see it uh, in the grand narrative of scripture. We see God speaks to Abraham. God chooses him and says that I'm going to bless all peoples through you. If we see how God chooses Israel as a nation, He says, I'm going to show you what I'm like and through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Through you, you will be a light to the other nation. Jesus chose disciples and what did he do? He sent them off to tell others. God chooses and chooses his people to be set aside for his purpose. Think about that phrase, chosen. Chosen. The Bible says that we are predestined. 
before the foundation of the world. It's incredible, isn't it? Uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 1 and 2 says, To God's elect scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the, of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. God calls, God chooses, and God does not make a mistake. We can be confident. And you know, I want us to understand so much of the issues that people have in their lives and in our relationships come from a sense of insecurity, from not being secure in who we are. You know, I worked a lot with very addicted people in my lifetime. And uh, particularly when I I worked um, with homeless people who had uh, particularly addictive needs. And very often there was an insecurity about identity. You know, our world is so obsessed with self. We really are. We are the most self-obsessed generation probably ever. And here's the interesting thing. In all of that self-obsession, we are utterly confused about identity. And that's partly what drives it. And I just want us to understand, if we would understand identity in Christ, being holy, chosen, called, set aside, then that would change, that that identity changes our actions, it changes changes our attitudes. The idea of being chosen and holy. Ephesians 2 says, we are God's handiwork. Imagine that. You are God's handiwork. Just look around the room. Just take it, you know, try to move your head around. If you can't move your body around, don't strain your neck. But um, look around. You are God's handiwork. It's amazing, isn't it? God's handiwork looks very, very different. God's handiwork takes on different forms, but together we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us in advance to do. So you're God's handiwork, you're chosen, and you've been set apart for his work. You know, when people talk about often about full-time Christian ministry, they talk about a sense of calling. The fact is we are all called. We are all called and set apart for the work that God has given to us. Understand you are God's chosen, dearly loved child. One of the things that most, that when I think about this passage, one of the things that really uh, stays with me in my mind is on one of my trips to South Africa, i Uh, met a a family and they had an adopted child and I I was asking them about the adoption process and it started off quite informally and they said they were in a a children's home which was really uh, big, badly run, the kids were in awful conditions and these people said that this one child as they walked by them just put its hands up like that and they said we picked him up, we've not put him down since and ended up adopting that child. And I just thought, there's something about the way of, of how God chooses us. Not because of anything we have to offer, but simply he stoops down, picks us up and says, you are my child, holy and loved. 
It's not how great we are. You know, in Corinthians, we looked, didn't we, that what did we have that we weren't given? And the answer is nothing. All that we have is a work of grace. It's God's work in us. Be secure. If God has called and chosen you, let that inform your attitude. Let that sense of identity inform your attitude and your actions. As this passage moves on from identity, it talks about our attitudes. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What's your attitude like? I love that word attitude. It's got, it carries like a, a, there's a hardness to it sometimes, isn't there? Annie always tells me, she constantly tells me off for my attitude when I'm walking. She says, you know what, when you walk down the street, you expect everybody to move out of your way. So she says, and it, it, I can't help it, it's how I grew up, right? But it's that kind of attitude that I'm on a mission and if you're in my way, please get out of the way. But the please bit isn't there. And Annie always tells me off and says, you have a bad attitude when you walk down the street. And actually, sometimes our attitudes can stink, can't they? They really can. We have the wrong attitudes. But interestingly, that's often because of our wrong sense of identity. You see, the interface of identity and attitude is really, really important. Our identity shapes our attitude. You know, I heard a... um, uh, a friend of mine who's a, an Anglican vicar was talking about wearing a dog collar. And he says, whenever I wear it, it, everybody knows I'm a vicar. So I really have to behave myself. Now, I think hopefully there's more reasons in life to behave yourself than wearing a dog collar. But that sense of identity shapes his attitude. And that that. That's a fact of life, isn't it? Have you ever met somebody who has an important job and because of it thinks the sun shines out of their backside? We all know people like that, don't we? I once uh, met with a politician who'd asked to meet a few church leaders and uh, they came into the room about 45, and they said they wanted to hear and talk and listen to church leaders. They came into the room about 45 minutes late surrounded by cameras, walked by, said hi, posed for a, wanted to pose for a picture, and then left the room. That was the attitude. The invitation had been to hear from us, but actually the attitude was, look at me, I'm important. And it's really important that we don't allow our sense of self to develop into a bad attitude. You know, Jesus is the ultimate example of somebody who lived and walked out an attitude because of who they were. You know, these, this passage here where it says to clothe yourself with compassion, humility, gentleness, kindness, patience. The example of this is Jesus. We read in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. It's that sense of empathy, of being merciful, but it's not just a head thing. It's emotional. It touches the heart. It comes from the inside. It sees the point of view of someone else or their circumstances or suffering and is stirred by it. 
You know, it's really interesting though, when we read that Jesus was moved with compassion when he feeds the 5,000, what does it say? Because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus wasn't even just moved by physical need. Jesus was moved by people's lostness. And I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, let's be compassionate. When we see people walking out crazy lifestyles, let's not sit in judgment. Let's be moved with compassion. When we see amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ behaviour that troubles us or makes things difficult, let's be moved by compassion. Let's think about what their lives are like. Let's be people who are compassionate. Clothe yourself. Put it on. That's the clothes you're to wear. Humility. We see that in Jesus, don't we? The servant king. The king. God incarnate. Yet washing feet and teaching his disciples as their final act. That that's what they're to do likewise. Let's be people whose relationships are characterised by humility. You know, none of us are ever too big to serve. We have to be people for whom humility and servant-heartedness becomes natural. We have to covet that. We have to, to, to desire it. It has to be a part of our relationships and life together. Humility and service. You know, just uh, a few, it was probably about a year ago or something, we had a, a couple came to church and just uh, as they came in, there was not enough seats. So I just grabbed some seats and started putting out just normal stuff. And they'd been part of a mega church and they said to me afterwards, that struck me more than anything. And they said, we've been in this church, that church for years. And they said, it's a long time since I saw pastors doing manual work. And brothers and sisters, that shouldn't be the case. We need to create a culture around humility, servanthood, that has to, to understand that Jesus is a servant king. Clothe yourself with gentleness. Clothe yourself with gentleness. You know, sometimes your version might say meekness. This idea of hidden strength, concealed strength. It's not weakness, but it's gentleness. It's, it's our, our basic response to people is, is to be gentle with them. That doesn't mean we don't ever have to say hard things. You know, it, does, you know, it doesn't mean that we have to be so indirect that we become bland. You know, and, and different cultures handle that differently, don't they? How do you do confrontation whilst being gentle and kind and humble? And, you know, some cultures are very good and are very direct. Uh, if, if Annie is German, that's a very direct culture. So if something is not right, you say it. It's direct. You don't drop hints. My upbringing was much more the, the ministry of the hint. So, you know, you, you weren't direct about lots of stuff at times. And I remember when, when Annie and I first started dating, uh, she made, my dad was the greatest tea maker ever, right? Uh, 
and Annie made absolutely foul, foul tea. She didn't drink tea, so she bought the cheapest possible tea. Uh, She's changed now. We have good tea in the house. She bought the cheapest, cheapest possible tea and she made it appallingly. But you know how it is when you're young and in love and you you just started going out. And I was like, I can hardly drink this. But it took me months to say to her, in a moment of frustration, I said, your tea is foul. I can't drink this. And she laughed because she's like, Why didn't you say this before? You've been drinking this for months. And it's that indirectness. And that's not what the Bible calls us to. It doesn't call us to beat around the bush. No, no, we can be direct. We can be clear. We can be straight. We can and must be open and honest. But to do so in a way which is compassionate, humble, gentle, kind that shows patience do you know things that move bump into each other they do if you move around and especially me no spatial awareness you bump into things and you know as a church we do a lot we do a lot together and it is quite normal that we will bump into one another a little bit that's life the only place you know, in, in any place where there's life and movement, there's conflict. And so I want to encourage you, don't shy away from conflict. Let's deal with the stuff, but let's let our instinctive way of dealing with that be compassionate. Let it be tending towards humility. Go towards grace rather than, than just being rough with people. Let's have an instinct that sees the best in others, that thinks of others more highly than ourselves. Let let that be how we deal with difference. One of the things it talks about here is kindness. Kindness. You know, it's not something that I hear churches talk enough about, the idea of being kind. What does it mean to be kind to one another? You know, the kind of reformed evangelical background that I'm from has so much that I'm grateful for a minute. But one of its downsides was that it was more important to be right than to be kind. Now, I think truth is absolutely important, but we need to be kind. Grace and truth go together in the Bible and we need to be kind with one another. You know, this week, in your interactions with people, when you could be make a choice that instead of being rough with someone or judgmental or a bit difficult with them, you know, try to be kind and patient. You know, I had a, a meeting with a, a couple of leaders in our church on Thursday evening, and I came into it so annoyed by British Airways customer service. Their call center in, in South Africa, they cut me off three... I'm, I'm not, it's not therapy group, I'll shut up with that. But I came into this church meet, this leaders meeting that was there, and I came in really upset. And I realized, actually, I, I was being a bit of an idiot to the guy on the phone. And on the way home, I had to repent before God. I was going to call them up, but then I couldn't wait for half an hour to stay in the queue to say sorry. But... Actually, let's, let's watch that. Let's watch it in our relationships with each other, but also with others. Are we being 
kind. I like the idea of being clothed with these things. If I had a bit more time this week, I wanted to make a set of clothes that said different things, but that takes too much time and I'm simply not patient enough. But the, the idea of being clothed with it, you know, we talk about the armour of God and spiritual warfare. Well, let's talk about the uniform of God. What are we clothed with? You know, in a battle, soldiers are identified by their uniform. It tells which side they're fighting on. What would people see by what we're clothed with? Would they see patience, kindness, goodness? Would they see the fruit of the Spirit? What are we clothing ourselves with? What are you wearing to the wedding? In one sense, you know, that we are... The Bible uh, gives us this picture, doesn't it, of the, the, the marriage between the church and Christ. And in the book of Revelation, the bride has made herself ready. What are you wearing? How are you preparing your clothes? What are you clothed in and with? Is it self or is it with the righteousness of Jesus? And as we look at this sense of identity and the attitudes that come from it, Then it speaks of the actions, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love, put on love. Is that the thing that's motivating my conversations with people? When I have to pull someone up, is it motivated by love? Is it expressed with kindness, compassion, humility? Fundamentally, this idea of bearing with one another and forgiving one another. It's about uh, truly accepting each other. You know, that's one of the key things in church. We need, particularly, you know, at THCC, we're absolutely committed to being an intercultural church. People of different backgrounds, living, worshipping, doing life together. And in the midst of that, we need to work out our differences. Romans 15 verse 5 and 7 says, May the God who give endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. I like it that it says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement. This stuff is hard. It takes work. It's so much easier just to either disengage from people or, or just you know, throw a wobbly at them. But God wants to give us encouragement and endurance in our relationships. And fundamental to that is the idea of accept one another. You know, the world that we have talks about tolerance. We need to go further than tolerance to acceptance. Tolerance is, it's got, kind of got this thing of, you know, you can be that, that's fine. Whereas to accept somebody means that we embrace them. And brothers and sisters, as we do life together, are we truly accepting one another? One of the things that we find in marriage, isn't it? That you marry someone for all that they can be with all these dreams for the future. And they show up as they are. 
and they may keep showing up as they are, may never become all those wonderful things you dreamed of them. But the great thing about marriage, a good marriage, is that sense of acceptance, that I am accepted with all of my faults, flaws, failings, quirks, weird attitudes. Accept one another. Accept one another. Just as Christ Accepted Again, the injunction is to do this because Jesus did it. The passage is very explicit about forgiveness. And I just really want to say, brothers and sisters, let's be good at forgiving one another. Let's be good at forgiving one another. If there's stuff that somebody has done to offend you, let forgiveness be the thing that is driving you. Let that sense of not holding grudges you know, if there's things that you need to talk to someone about that have been done to you that are wrong, you know, as a staff team, we want to make time for that. Please do speak to somebody. You know, it's important. Maybe speak to somebody in your life group or your life group leaders. But, but you know, let's be people who forgive. You know, part of our problem is that we've made forgiveness an optional extra, haven't we? You know, when you buy a Ryanair flight, and absolutely everything is an extra. And, you know, 10 euros, 10 euros, 20, 30. And by the time you've finished, it's like four times the flight of the original price, the price of the original flight. And so often we do our Christianity that way. Oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm loved and accepted by Jesus. Forgiveness, yeah, not so much. Grace, yeah, not so much. You know, and we can start, like just treating it as an optional extra. Whereas forgiveness is so key to Christian discipleship. You know, in Matthew 10, 18 to 22, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Really interesting, isn't it? So Peter is actually playing the spiritual card because a lot of the rabbis would be saying, actually, if you forgive them three times, you show an awful lot of grace. After that, they're kind of asking for it. And um, so Peter, by saying seven times, he's like, Jesus, I'm spiritual. Um, you know, I'll take the rabbis three and I'll go seven. And Jesus just says, it's not enough. It's not enough. You know, Jesus isn't saying 70 times 7. Like you, It's not an injunction to, to make a scorecard. And when they hit that one extra time, that's it, wrath is coming. No, no, it's an encouragement to go on forgiving. To go on forgiving. If there's something that's eating away at you, I want to encourage you, be somebody who knows what it is to forgive. Fundamentally, this passage is a call to know who we are in Jesus. In the, in the big, broad picture, there's this, in Colossians, the idea of, of, of putting off the old and putting on the new. Understand what God has done for you. Let your attitudes be shaped by them. But don't just have the attitude, have the actions. Find out what it is to bear with one another, to, to, to accept them, 
to, to be concerned with the welfare of others, to see their difficulties as our difficulties. As a, a, on a bigger scale, as a church, we need to see the struggles of other churches in part as the struggles we have. We need to identify with our brothers and sisters. Accept one another. Forgive one another. And the whole motive in all of this is love. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together. I love that love comes in in part of the actions. Put on love. Love is not just a sentiment, but it's an attitude and an action. So brothers and sisters, my prayer for us as a church today is that we would understand what we are, holy, loved, chosen, that we would put on those attitudes of humility, compassion, gentleness, patience, and that we would love and forgive one another. I'm going to invite the band up to play, and just we're going to worship. But as we do, just I want us just to take a moment of quiet, just to think about what's the outworking of this today for you. It's very easy to think about who else needed to hear this sermon today, isn't it? But what's the attitude for you? What's the thing that God is challenging you about? What, who's the person that you need to be more gentle or more patient with or more forgiving? Who's the person maybe you just need to be a bit more honest with? Who's the person that you might need to ask forgiveness of? Who's the person you may need to forgive? So let's just take a moment, just in quiet, just to settle some stuff in our heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, that you would put your finger on the issues of each of our hearts. Father, we don't want to deceive ourselves and pretend that everything is fine. And Lord, we want to pray that you would just speak into each of our hearts now. Show us the things that you want to change in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I pray as we worship that you would be doing a work in our hearts. Father, I pray if there are people here struggling with unforgiveness, Lord, help us to be those who forgive. Lord, if we're struggling to walk with people, Father, forgive us for where we haven't uh, understood or or we haven't uh, borne one another's burdens as we should. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.